Good morning. Glad to be here. Glad I'm alive. It's been quite a week. I uh, um, I just just kind of you know what you'll. It's been stressful. Life is stressful, and uh, at the end of this week with the job and uh, with family life and with church life and all these different hats that we wear, um, at the end of the week on Friday night, my wife got to witness this epic mental breakdown in front of her. And I was stressed, and I was pushed, and, and still in a lot of ways feel that weight of, this is a little too much. Life is, is coming at you from all ways. And this is not, not anything unusual necessarily about this week, other than it's just a normal week, and, and there is a lot going on in life, isn't there? It was interesting then, um, what we're going to talk about today was just so applicable, and if I could have gotten um, a hold of it, if I could have grasped onto it beforehand, I just would have been so much more at peace this week. I had a chaotic week that, that led me to just feel so stressed, and I didn't need to feel so stressed if I would have grabbed on to some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, if you have your bulletin, go ahead and pull it out. And I'm really hoping today will be an interactive day with you. I'm going to ask people to read some verses, so have your Bible on your phone already. Wrong bulletin. I want you to do something for me. Take your pen, and you have two full pages there. I want you to make, I want you to uh, cross over and make four separate equal parts on your page. And I'm going to give you the outline already right here, and we'll go through it. Today's message is loving the Lord with all your heart. And that's what Dad talked about last week. Did a really nice job of getting in-depth. What does that mean? And here's the, the caveat, or here's, here's my piece of it. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart through worship. So on one of those squares at the top, please write worship. The next square over on the top, I want you at the top write prayer. Now on the third one, cutting back down, we're going to go memorization. And then on the fourth square at the top, I want you to write meditation, please. And the reason I'm doing this, the reason that we're separating into the, into, uh, the four sections like this, we're going to have, well, you know, there'll be notes to, that you could jot down that will be helpful. But what I want to point out is that all of these four things that we're going to talk about loving the Lord through worship and prayer and memorization and meditation, all of them are interconnected. So I think you'll see things in each section that we talk about that will weave in with the others that outside or by themselves are not enough. And yet together create this really, really cool thing. And I think you'll see points that, that you can take and say, well, that fits with prayer as well, and that fits with worship. Oh, and that fits over in memorization. Oh, and meditation, this could fit there too. And I'm hoping you will. And so the exercise, I hope, as you get done with your notes is that you'll be able to circle things that you can tell fit together. Does that make sense? All right, so today is going to be real straightforward. We, I'm, uh, we're, we're, we'll touch on what each thing is, but it, my assumption is that, that you know or have an idea about what these things are, these four categories. And so really today we're going to talk practical steps and... Uh, I'm praying that God will take the practical 
and use it to change our hearts. So let, let's pray together first. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Jesus, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to Father except through me. God, we're at a privilege, you, the Lamb of God, that we enter into the Father's presence today because of what you've done. God, I pray that we would understand you and your truth today, that these things that we've heard before uh, will become a necessary thing in our life and, and that we will just crave uh, to implement these so that we can love you more, that we can have joy, that we can have the abundant life. We can't do this without you. And I pray, Jesus, your blessing on our time this morning. In your name, amen. The first one we're going to be talking about today is worship. Anytime you give a uh, definition, it, it's always dangerous because in a quick definition, you can never en encompass all that worship is. So apologize up front for this, but this is a working definition maybe, one that we can add to as, as we keep going. But I'm going to say worship is to give God the honor, praise, adoration that he so rightly deserves. Worship, to give God the honor, praise, adoration that he so rightly deserves. God calls us to worship him, doesn't he? We know that someday, for those that have placed their trust in Jesus to be their lamb of God, to be that sacrificial lamb that we talked about this morning in the breaking of bread, that those that have taken that step to place their faith in Christ for salvation, that we will live eternally in the presence of God. And what are we going to be doing in the presence of God? Worshiping. How do we know that? Revelation 4 and 5. Some powerful verses that proclaim that there is going to be some serious honor and praise and glory being given to the Father and to His Son and to the Spirit. And that's exciting. That someday, for the rest of eternity, we will worship the Most High God. And you know what? We will see Him as He is. We'll understand Him. We'll know Him. And our only response at that moment to, to look upon the face of Christ, to understand who He is without our sin, to understand fully who God is, will lead to this amazing, powerful worship. And you know what the truth is, is that God is calling us, even right now, where we are, think about your situation, your age, and, and, and where you are in life, He is calling you right now to be a worshiper. This concept of worshiping is not, not too difficult. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis summed it up really well. He, he said, he, C.S. Lewis, for a long time as he was searching out this, this whole God thing to see if it was real, this whole Christianity to see if it had anything to it, said he struggled with the concept of, of this God saying everyone needed to worship him. And uh, there's still people, and, and, and sometimes we do uh, struggle with, well, why is God you know, saying that, that we should worship him? Isn't that, is that egotistical? Well, maybe if God, it could be if God wasn't the supreme being, if God wasn't completely who he said he was. But God is the only thing that is worthy of adoration and glory and honor. And so by us worshiping him, we proclaim to him 
who he is. And because he is truth, because he is who he said he was, he is worthy of worship. One, because of what he's done for us. That we who were dead in our own sins, he made alive through Christ. That in itself should lead us to, uh, wow, thank you. An appreciation. But understanding the character of who God is and the nature of who God leads us to understand, wow, you are worthy of this worship. You see, when you get a glimpse of God, you don't question why he asked us to worship him. You just understand and you say, wow, okay, yes, you are worthy. And there's times in our lives that are exciting when we get this really clear picture of who God is. And it's amazing, I, I struggle sometimes because I really long for those times. When you have this clear focus on who God is and an understanding of who you are, and you're engulfed in this really pure and beautiful worship of Him. And it is satisfying. But C.S. Lewis said that, well, if, if I, instead, if I said that we need to become worshipers, and I'll say that, we need to become worshipers. But what's wrong with that statement? We need to become worshipers. Any critical thinkers that can maybe see what's wrong with that statement? We need to become worshipers. Spencer. <laughs> if I had a star chart, I'd give you 10, man. I didn't know if anyone was catch that, but that, that's beautiful. We are worshipers. In fact, everyone is a worshiper. Your next-door neighbor's a worshiper. You're a worshiper. You see, I stopped because I didn't say we need to become worshipers of God. And yes, that's true. We need to become worshipers of God. But we already are worshipers. You see, we worship things that we're excited about. We worship things that we think have value. In fact, uh, when you talk to someone, if you talk to your next-door neighbor about his classic car that he's buffing and shining and waxing, Will he be excited or engaged if you ask him a few questions about that car? Yeah. And he's ready to tell you every detail of the history of that car, not only the history of that car, but the history of the whole line of cars. And by about five minutes in, you realize, I don't like cars as much as him. But he has worshipped this car. He's a worshiper. You need to know something about the Minnesota Vikings. Come talk to me, and I can tell you the history of the Vikings. I can tell you who's on the roster. I can tell you what's going to happen this next season, hopefully. (laughs) Because to my shame, I've actually been a a worshiper of the Vikings. We're worshipers of coins, coin collecting, stamp collections, Horses, dogs, cats. Yeah, (laughs) some people. Of superstars, of people, of athletics. Any crazy, silly thing that you can think of, we have people out there that are interested in those things. Some of us are more popular than others, but there's obscure things even that we worship or we get excited about, and you get someone talking about their passion. The only thing that stops them from really getting in and sharing to you uh, 
what they feel about something is maybe a, a, a politeness where they realize you don't want to hear about it as much or, or even a shyness. But if you could get someone to really tell you how excited they are about something, they would reveal themselves to be a worshiper. Because when we see value in something, we can't wait to tell you about it. Let me tell you, Culver's Double Bacon Deluxe Burger is something that is wonderful, and I want to tell you about it. It's very easy and natural for me to express <laughs> something I'm excited about or something that, that's really great. And so Spencer was right. We already are worshipers. And so the problem is not that we don't know how to worship. The problem is, is that we don't know how to worship God. We need to become worshipers of God. But how? Psalm 46.10. Psalm 46.10. If someone could turn there. Psalm 46.10. I'm going to give you guys, uh, you have, anyone have a Bible here? The first two rows. Spence, you have one? I'm going to give you Second Chronicles 7.14. It's going to be a little while, but if you could have that one ready. Kevin, can I give you Psalm 145.18? And that's way ahead. I need someone for Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Eric, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. No. Tiernot, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Okay. Have those ready and we'll have more. But when I call upon you, that'd be great. And remind me if, if I forget who I told to read what. Psalms 46.10. Can someone read that for us? Psalms 46.10. Joe, are you there? All right. Yes. Read it, please. Hmm. Know that I am God. That's one of the first steps of worship, isn't it? that acknowledgement of who he is. There's a difference between what we say about God and what we truly believe about God, isn't there? Know that I am God. We, we know that God created all things, right? We know that he's in control of all things. We know that he continues to hold all things together. We know that he works all things together for good. We have to have an understanding of who God is before we can worship him. And we have to have an ability to take head knowledge of who God is and actually begin to believe the things that we know about God. Because if we understand who it is that we're dealing with, if we take time to realize who God truly is, what He's done for us, what He will do for us, that changes things. It changes perspectives and priorities and time given. When we truly start to believe that God is who He said He was. And so that's the first step, is acknowledging 
who God is, knowing that He is God. A book that my wife is reading, it's called Satisfy My Thirsty Soul, For I Am Desperate for Your Presence. And it's a book about worship. This lady's desire to, to draw close to the God of the universe through worship. And one of her main things in the, in the concept of the book is to seek stillness before the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. And this lady's desire is to calm herself for long enough to acknowledge who God is in her life. And that's the first step of worship, is acknowledging who God is and who we are. Mimi Wilson is an author. She's actually out from Colorado. And she wrote this. She said, when I was 30 years old, I made the choice to become a worshiper. Did you hear that? She made the choice to become a worshiper. She said, I decided to offer God my desire and knew that that was the best that I could do. That was her starting point. I decided to offer God my desire and knew that that was the best that I could do. To offer God my desire is the best that I can do. That's, that's the first place to start is, God, I, I long to know you. God, I desire to worship you. And I think the cry of our heart as, as believers, as people that really are intentional and want to follow Christ is, yeah, yeah God, we want to worship you. We want to know you. We want to understand you and be blessed. We want to be still in front of you and know that you're God. But if you're like me, our desire and our ability to do that kind of break down, don't they? And life is extremely distracting. In fact, I don't know if you've ever sat behind my little family during the Lord's Supper, but I want to tell you something. It's a little distracting. Barb and Roe got a, a vision this morning, okay? It's good that my kids aren't real tall, and so things happen down underneath this level, but I want to tell you that I used to be able to worship better without kids on Sunday mornings. That's just reality. That's just life, that, that we come, and, and it's distracting, isn't it? And I'm sorry if they distract you, but. but the thing is, if this is the only time during the week that we worshiped, that would be really frustrating, wouldn't it? Really frustrating. Well, this is my only chance. This is my only time, and this is a wonderful time, don't get me wrong, but you know what I'm saying on that? If this was the only time or only chance we had to worship, boy, it would be really frustrating if we got distracted and if there was, there was less than ideal. The, the unique part about our Sunday morning is that we come together as a group and acknowledge Jesus for who he is. Thank Jesus for what he's done. And that makes it unique. But the call to worship does not end on Sunday morning after we've passed the bread and the juice. You know what I'm saying by that? And if we want to become worshipers, if we want to love the Lord with all our heart through worship, then we have to make worship a priority. Some of us are very busy. Some of us have little kids. Some of us have pressing jobs and pressing studies. And, and the concept of being still, especially in our society, is a lost art, isn't it? And so here's a practical step, and you can, you can write this down. The goal is to take 20 minutes a day to carve out with time alone in just worship to the Lord. 20 minutes per day. 
Now that's a big goal. For some of you, you're already saying, how in the world is that possible? Let's start small, okay? This week, three days this week, can we take ten minutes to carve out, to separate yourself from the chaos? Maybe that it says, hey honey, please watch the kids while I go and, and worship. Maybe that says, okay, after the kids are in bed, I go out and I, I sit on my front porch. Maybe that says, okay, uh, I'm going to turn down the music. I'm going to close my door so no one can bother me in my dorm. And I'm going to take 10 minutes today and I'm going to worship. And I'm going to dive into the character of who God is. And I'm going to be amazed at, at what I see about him. And I'm going to take time to let that impact my life. I'm going to be still and know that he is God. What do you think, uh, and this, this, is, I'm, this is not rhetorical, what kind of response do you think we'd start to have? Or we'll start to have, let's do this. What do you think will be the result of this exercise? Ten minutes a day, three times a week, and just purposeful set-aside time to enter in into worship to the, the Most High God. What are some of the results that are going to happen? Because hmm. when we know who's in control, hmm. huh? Because if we know who He is and we are, hmm. better, attitude. better attitude. Because if we know what we've been given. Anyone have a hobby? It can be anything. Raise your hand if you have a hobby. We have... Dad, you have a hobby. You like to fix stuff. Okay. I was thinking food. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hobby. Anyone here have a problem? And this is not, hey, let's guilt you. And I'm just trying to get our minds wrapped around this. Anyone here have a problem finding time? Ten minutes, three times a week for their favorite hobby. I sure make it happen. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we are worshipers. We just need to learn to become worshipers of God. So Isaiah six one to eight. I think that was here, and I think that was you. Are you ready? Go ahead and and read Isaiah six one to eight. And who said that? It would help us to recognize who God is. Or you said humility. So re- read Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. And, and Dad's assertion that we would become more humble, I think, is going to be pointed out in this.
See what happened to Isaiah had a glimpse, not even a full picture, but a glimpse into who God was. And he falls on his face and says, woe is me. Why? Because he had a recognition of who God was and who he was. He was humbled. And when we come into the presence of God and we acknowledge that he is God, when we're still and know that he is God, we will be humbled. There will be an acknowledgement. I'm not, I'm not even worthy to be here. But you've made a way. And then what's so cool is, is out of that didn't come some defeatist attitude or, or some, uh, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm done. I see who you are and, and what a wretch I am. I'm, I'm done. That's not what the response was. In fact, when God called him, well, first we see God purifies his lips and then he calls him. What's Isaiah's response? Here I am, I'm ready. And so we see that worship, this acknowledgement of who God is and who we are, and this willingness to enter in and acknowledge that and, and know our place leads us to the willingness to then obey and say, God, I will go where you say. I will follow. There's power in that. That can change us. Did I give anyone Psalm 19, 1 through 4? All right, go ahead. Day after day, they pour forth speech. That is cool. You picture that? Someone just dumping out a massive amount of water. Day after day, they, they pour forth speech about the character and nature and quality of our Creator. The heavens that He created, the, the creation themselves worship the Almighty God. And they teach us about who he is. Very cool. Write these references down. We don't have time for them. Psalm 131. The concept is be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. The story of Mary and Martha. Um, Mary took time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said it's a good thing that she had done. When she took time to be still and sit at the feet of Jesus. Even though chaos was around her, even though there was lots of things distracting for her, she stopped. Psalm 96 is another one to write down, please, as homework to go, go ahead and home with and, and read. Psalm 97, 1 through 6, and I'd read these, but we've got to keep going. We've got three others. Psalm 98, 1 through 8. If you could, when you get home, read these, because I think what it will do is... is uh, show you that there is a need in our life to stop the craziness, to step off of the, the cycle and say, wow, I'm leaving that for a little bit to come and be with my God, my Savior. It's going to revitalize us. And 10 minutes a day, three times a week of purposely getting off the crazy train and sitting down before him and quieting ourselves will revitalize us. And then we build up that muscle, that worship muscle. And from there, as, as we're revitalized, we realize, I, I need to do this more. 
And so maybe now it's five times a week for, for 10 minutes. And then maybe we go five times a week for 20 minutes. And before you know it, you become like some of the people that you know where they cannot get enough of God. Where they are consumed with who God is and what He's done for us. We need to get there. And until we're there, please, let's be careful to truly call ourselves worshipers of God. We're good at worshiping everything else. All right. Let's move to prayer. And so that's the next box over, and we'll have to kind of fly through. I apologize. I get Gavin. That's a shocker, right? All right, prayer. Prayer flows out of worship. Prayer flows out of worship. An interesting note that was made in, from that same book that my wife was, was reading, the, the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the prayer that's often used as kind of a pattern on how we should pray. The Lord's Prayer is 68 words long. 36 of those words are words of worship. Interesting, isn't it? 36 of the 68 words that Jesus used in his prayer are words of worship and adoration. So Jesus' uh, pattern for prayer is, is this. First, we worship. Second, we give over our own interests. And three, we worship again. And that's the pattern that we see from Jesus when he comes before the Father. My prayer life looks a little bit different than that. My prayer life says, okay, God, I got about two minutes here and I got ten things on my list. I'll read them off to you real quick. If you can make those happen, I'll, I'll see you later. You know, and practically, that, that's often how it is. And yet, um, that is not, that's not the concept that God was looking for when he said pray without ceasing. You see, God wanted this communion with us on a regular basis. You see, what's interesting about all four of these things that we're talking about, worship, prayer, memorization, and meditation, they are God-focused. Our interaction is right here, horizontal. We interact. This is great. Everything we're talking about here is me and God. Now what's cool is all four of these things are enhanced when my horizontal relationships also start to have their vertical relationship increased. Then my vertical relationship with the Lord is increased. You know, you see what I'm saying on this? But these are all connected in that they are active ways for us to connect with the very heart of God. So we need to view these things as vital this is life. This is the most important stuff. This idea of connecting with God. He is what's eternal. He is what matters. And we know this and it's hard and it's tricky to get through. And yet, this is the recipe, if you will, that we can follow to connect with the God of the universe. And prayer in its, in its deepest uh, sense is connecting with the heart of God. And that pattern is beautiful. First we worship, we acknowledge who he is. And then give our own interests over. It's not even saying, you know, that, that concept is not even, uh, we have requests, yes, but the request is always 
not my will, but yours be done. God, if this is off, if this is wrong, please change it to make it more about what you want in my life. And then we start seeing some answered prayers, right? Because that Mercedes that I keep praying for has not popped up on my front door. And yet, you know why? It's because that is not in line with the heart of the Lord Jesus. And so when we start aligning through prayer our hearts with the Lord Jesus, then we will see some amazing things accomplished. Now to him who is able, more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. When we start getting in line with what God wants and those become our prayers, we can see him do some amazing things. And that's exciting. But prayer is a lifeline. Second Chronicles 7.14, who did I ask to, to do that? Thanks, Spence. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Prayer is, is humility. Genuine prayer is this willingness to say, not about me, God. It's all about you. Psalm 145, 18. Did I give that to anyone? Did you hear that? Do you ever feel like the Lord is distant from you? Do you ever get frustrated? God, where are you in this? I, I, I have not felt a connection with you, God, today. There's been times lately that I've been feeling that way. God, God I'm, I'm trying to purge sin from my life. I'm trying to do the right things, God. I'm trying to, but I'm, I'm having a hard time because I do not feel connected to you. And yet, what does that verse say one more time, Kevin? The Lord is near to all who call on him. That's a promise. Do you understand? That when we call on the name of the Lord, he is near to us. And prayer gives us the ability to draw near to God. And we know that in God's word, he says, pray without what? Pray without ceasing. One of the greatest quotes from Anita Jennings is this. She says, if you know how to worry... You know how to pray. And that's the truth, isn't it? We, we're good at worrying. We're good at letting our mind fixate on the problems and the negatives and the issues and, and, uh, and continue to obsess over them. And yet if we know how to obsess over things and, and give that amount of energy and time, then we understand what it is to pray without ceasing because if we were to switch our attitude on that and switch the focus and on those worries and those fears and those obstacles became items of God, you have to take this, you have to change my heart on this, you have to help me, I'm desperate for you. Life would be different. You see, you can pray anytime and anywhere. You can't read God's word anytime, anywhere, can you? Because it's dark sometimes and sometimes you don't have a Bible. But you can connect with the heart of God anytime and anywhere. Is that a privilege? I take that for granted, but that is a privilege. And I, I, am, I have to make that such a priority and, and view it as a privilege. 
Why do I view other stuff as more important than that when I have access to God himself? Perspective and, uh, needs to come in because familiarity breeds sometimes us being stagnant, doesn't it? But what a promise that we have access to the Father. The third one as we move along here is memorization. This one is really cool and, and this is the one um, that I am way bad at and know that if I could um, change how bad I am at it that I'd be truly blessed. All right, who here was in youth group growing up? Okay, me too. We had a game and it was called Fruit Names. Everyone got in a circle and a lot of times you had like 25, 30 kids. At camp you'd do it, you'd have 50 kids or something crazy, you know? And every person would decide a fruit. So uh, you'd, Kevin said apple and Mark said banana and you said kumquat and you said uh, peach and you said plum and you said pear. And everyone got an apple in, or an, everyone got a name of a fruit in the circle and you sat in the circle and there was given uh, some over-anxious, over-aggressive teenage boy a tightly wrapped newspaper. And when dad was doing it, it was like three newspapers with duct tape around and he was given in the middle. And what he was supposed to do was to whack someone on their legs if they could not get the proper response out. And the proper response was this. You had to say your fruit and the name of the fruit of someone else that you wanted to send the whacker to. Do you understand what I'm saying on this? So we'd come around the circle, and I'd say, the guy would start out and say, apple. So that meant I had to go because I was apple. And I knew that, Kevin, I said, who's pear? Let's see, anyway. I'd say, apple pear. And then pear would say, oh, I'm pear. Pear banana. And then they'd say, oh, banana peach. Peach and all the anxiousness became. And a funny thing happened at the risk of being whacked in the face or the arm or the leg. You begin to memorize very quickly everyone's fruit. You see, there was very motivating factors that allowed your mind to say, I'm going to intently focus now and make sure that I know each of these names. And as soon as you engage that intent, focus, and motivation, it was amazing what your mind could do. Sometimes we say, I just can't memorize. I don't have a mind for it. It's too hard. I, I can't, you know, maybe when I was a kid, when a kid, you can just soak it up. And right now, I, don't, I just don't, I can't memorize. What if we started whacking each other with newspapers and then we, <laughs> no, but the motivation is huge. Because that's a lie that I can't memorize. Right? How many people's names do you know? We have the ability, this mind that God has given us, we have the ability to do this. We have the ability to know God's word. Let's talk about some of the the benefits. Um, John Piper notes that there is actually not a single verse that, that mandates the memorization of scripture, that proclaims, you go, memorize, memorize God's word. There's actually not any, any verses. And yet, there is just so much evidence from God's word on how vital it is to hide this. In fact, David, a man after God's own heart, has some incredible things to say. And one of the things he says, and you know Psalm 19, he says, I, I, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
This is David, a man after God's own heart, someone that was known to be a worshiper, known to know how to connect to the heart of God. And what was he saying about God's word? I hide it in my heart. I cherish it. He went on to say that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your words are better than life, sweeter than honey to me. You see, David understood the value of God's word and he understood the need to cherish it and to hold on to it and allow it to change him. John Piper says at the age of 31, he was sitting in a, um, in a chapel session at Bethel and one of his professors came up and began to speak and, and all he did from memory was speak one of the, the passages of Christ. And he began to, to give this message from memory, from God's word. And John Piper said that it was so impactful to watch a man that he loved and respected share God's word from his heart. And he said that he had never seen anything like it in his church. He had never seen an emphasis like this on cherishing God's word and putting it into your heart so that you can recall it at any time and bless people. John 6, 63 says this. This verse is, is amazing. This needs to, to change our view on Scripture. It needs to change our view on the importance of putting God's Word into our heart. John six sixty three says this. It is the Spirit who gives life. The, pr- the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, this is Jesus, the words that I have spoken to you our spirit, and our life. Do you hear that? Jesus' words are life. And here's what is amazing. When we memorize, put to memory, hide in our heart the words of Jesus, when we speak them to others, we speak life to people. That is enormous. That is huge. And any lack of motivation from a true understanding of what that means, from a true uh, heart of worship and understanding what that means to speak life should blow away any hindrances that we have or lack of motivation. What a privilege, what a call to speak life. We're running out of time so I won't get to do it, but we've handed out before some of the eight reasons to memorize Scripture. Remember we handed those out on half pages. Anyone still have those? Pull them out or look these up. These are fantastic. I don't have time right now to go through them. The story is told of a man uh, that was in prison in China for speaking God's truth. And he was kept in solitary confinement and, and came out after the 21 years and, and this uh, other lady missionary was interviewing him and said, how are you not bitter how are you still so in love with God? He said, you had nothing. You didn't even have God's word. And this man said, oh, I, I did have God's word. And he began to name and list every book of God's word that before being thrown into prison and seclusion, he had hidden in his heart. And it was multiple, multiple chapters and books of scripture that he had hidden away. 
And when the privilege of God's written word was taken from him, God's word had been written on his heart. And so he meditated on that which he had already put in the time to memorize. And there alone and cold and separated from everything else, he was in communion with God. You see, everything man tried to do to this man of taking away comfort and food and, and anything of, of, that would make him feel like a human, trying to make him feel like a worm and less than nothing, and yet because of his ability to recall God's life-giving word, he connected with the heart of God. He worshiped. He prayed. He memorized. And he meditated. And 21 years of imprisonment could not contain the love of God that grew inside this man. We walk in our freedom. We walk without chains or hindrance or any real need. We're not starving. We're not cold. We're not without. And yet somehow we walk without this power. This consuming devotion. This driving will to know the heart of God. Wouldn't it be interesting if it was all taken away, what would we count on? If tomorrow everything was stripped away and we had nothing left, what would we hold most dear? We have the chance right now where we are to enter in through these four things in the ability to love God with all our heart. Not in our own strength, but through the Spirit. We got to get past the familiarity with these things and back into the knowledge that these are life-giving principles and gifts to worship, to pray, to read His Word, to study it, to memorize it, and then be able to meditate on it, which is, God, this is your truth. How does it change me?